name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encores top 10 songs of 2022. Hello Dave, I'm very excited to be here for another end of year list. It's going to be a good one. It's a cold Saturday afternoon. It's a cold intro for me. <laughs> well, it's going to get colder because um, before we get to the uh, end of year list, I guess, you know, we haven't been on the pod for a couple of weeks. We need yeah, to actually need to take... Warm up. Yeah, well, we need we need to take a little bit of time here just to uh, announce... Announce? Honour, I should say. It's been announced. <laughs> Maybe sad, someone won't have heard. You sad know. news. Uh, we talked on the show a million times. Like This does not relate to 2022 apart from the event occurring, but uh, Craig and I have talked on the show for a very, very long time about Twin Peaks and David Lynch and the yes. amazing work thereof, in particular the incredible musical work of Angelo Badalamenti, who I'm sure a lot of people will be aware of by now, passed away uh, in uh, mid-December and he was a titanic talent an amazing amazing composer and I think we wanted to just take a minute or two before we get going on this to just pay tribute to the man yeah he was just tremendous I mean just so magical in what he did such a an important component of the Lynch universe and you know everything that makes that otherworldly and unforgettable and Maybe the best in the business. <laughs> we always go back to Twin Peaks because that's a huge cultural reference point for us. But I was I was listening back to stuff during, during the week and Mulholland Drive, I mean, that team just so rich and overpowering. The Straight Story soundtrack, which people probably sleep on slightly. Uh, incredible. And by all accounts, a very, very sweet man. Um, Seems to be a lovely fella, yeah. I mean, yeah. he plays a brief role in Mulholland Drive as he this does. character who is quite monstrous. Yeah, he's yeah terrifying in that. <laughs> yeah. And then you see this beautiful, big-hearted sweetheart who uh, is responsible for some of the best music I've ever heard. And Twin Peaks, like when it first aired on TV, I was too young to really know what I was seeing. My brother watched it, and I was terrified by it, by the little snippets I would see on the TV screen, whether it was something as overtly, like genuinely scary as Killer Bob, or whether it was... Just the atmosphere mm. and the atmosphere that permeated out of the fucking TV screen. And so much of it goes down to the music. The theme song, Laura Palmer's theme, the music that runs through that show retains another worldly power. But like there was one clip that everyone was sharing when he passed away. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people will be familiar with it. But if you're not, or even if you are, uh, I want you to picture the great man himself, Angelo Badalamenti. He's at his uh, keyboard. He's in, I guess, one of his studios or something. And he's talking about putting together, is it Laura's theme or the main theme? Laura's theme, yeah, yeah. And how David Lynch and him kind of work together on this together. So uh, it's an incredible clip. And we're going to play a couple of minutes of it now to honour the late, great, amazing Angelo Badalamenti. Then he would say, okay, Angelo, now we got to make a change because from behind a tree in the back of the woods, there's this very lonely girl Her name is Laura Palmer, and it's very sad, but get something that matches her. And and I I just segued into this. And he'd say, well, that's it. It's very beautiful. I could see her. And she's walking towards the camera and she's coming closer. Just keep building it. Just keep building it. And she's getting close. Now reach some kind of climax. And I would go, and he said, oh, that's it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Angelo. Oh, that's tearing my heart out. 
I love that. Just keep that going. Now she's starting to leave. So fall down. Keep falling. Keep falling. Keep falling. Now go back into the dark woods. That's it. Keep going. Just keep it going. Very quiet and mysterious. got up, gave me a big hug. He said, Angelo, that's Twin Peaks. I said, okay, David, I'll go home and I'll work on it. He said, Angelo, don't do a thing and don't change a signal note. I see Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> it would be completely unbelievable if it didn't involve those two gentlemen. It's complete <laughs> insanity and magic, and it's great, yeah. Yeah, thank you for the music, Angela Badalamenti. Oh, and uh, if it's music you want, we're going to talk about it on this episode. Craig was kind of laughing off mic there that, you know, what a start to the episode. People tuning in, looking yeah, for a good time. Yeah, I mean, if, they're, if they've tuned into No Encore before, it's probably a fairly standard December, Christmassy kind of vibe around here, yeah. And an immediate deviation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you did say it to me, you were like, we should mention... Angela Badalamenti. People will be waiting for it, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Adoring public. Um, people, people gathering people around the show. <laughs> their phones. Around the wireless. Yeah. They're going to talk about Angelo. So, um, yeah. Right. Uh, it's the penultimate episode of the year. Of yeah. course, you'll also, hopefully you'll have listened to by now, Adam's incredible. Adam's here, by the way. Hello. Hey. Sonic Architect Adams, two and a half hour supercut of the best of No Encore 2022. Can you believe we had two and a half hours in this, Greg? I uh, no, not quite. Although listening back, I was like, oh yeah. Uh, do you know what I feel? I feel like that fills the jovial quote, and so we can just be dead serious for the next two episodes. Do you know what I mean? Well, when you get to this top five of ours, it's going to be a laugh riot. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I mean, before we before we continue, just yet another further detour. I want to say a huge thanks to everyone who's listened to the show this year in 2022. Thank you very very much. And if you've recommended to a friend that'd be you know thank you for that and if you've supported us over on Patreon it's patreon.com slash noencore thank you so so much yeah. support means the world people telling us that you know the show gets them through the day all that kind of stuff it, it means a lot mm-hmm. to us so genuine genuine thank you and hopefully these end of year shows can do it some justice now uh, usually uh, we would have a guest but this year it's just Craig and I Yes, it is. And usually we would do... Low key. Yeah, we usually do about 20 songs and 20 albums. This year is going to be slightly different. Uh, We're doing 10 songs and 10 albums. This is the songs episode. The albums episode will follow next. And essentially the reason for that is because it's been a strange year, I think, in terms of paying attention to new music for me and also for you for whatever reasons, you know, work commitments, etc. Not here to like put up barriers or whatever, but I did put out a tweet a couple weeks ago and I said, notably weak year for music or have I just been not paying attention to new releases? Anyway, hit me up with your (laughs) favourites of 2022, yada, yada, yada. And like a few things happened off the back of that tweet. First of all, a whole bunch. I got a lot of new followers, including Reverend and the Makers, which I wasn't expecting. Oh, did I put out an album this year? I think they've announced they a new have. album. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, I also got a lot of people like sending me their music, and I was like, "This isn't what I was asking for. I was asking for your and favorite." It was all terrible. So stop doing that. People. <laughs> yeah, but I was just I like, I, I felt bad. I didn't really engage back in with it. But some people also took it as kind of an antagonistic tweet. It wasn't meant to be. 
I mean, I said, was it a bad year for music or am I the problem? Who are you antagonising, the concept of music or the calendar year? I guess both. Okay. I mean, someone was like, oh, have you had your head in the sand? And it's like, oh, well, this isn't what I'm... I literally was like saying, I think I've been at fault for not paying attention to all of the new music I possibly could and have been as tuned in as I usually would be, yeah. help a brother out. But even like one of my colleagues in work was like, oh, I saw your snarky tweet last week. And I was like, it wasn't and snarky. Like, Which one? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. Um, so yeah, I, I was just making the point that for me, I found it to be a difficult year to really tune in stuff. We reviewed less albums on the show. Yeah. It wasn't by design. I, I mean, like, why do you think it was, and do you think it was, either a week or I think it was year. a week, week year for music in, you know, in the context of stuff that's come before. Usually we're overflowing with like, we've had years here where the top 10 has felt like it's 80, 90% like actual classics that are going to live on. Um, I think we've really good top 10s here because like maybe there wasn't the competition slightly outside that. But yeah, I had the same feeling. Just a lot of stuff that was getting praised and hyped, I wasn't really connecting with. And that could be totally a me thing. But Can it was, you give an example? Um, I feel like when we started off the year, there was a number of releases that just didn't quite connect or maybe didn't live up to expectations. And it just kind of struck a note. FK Twigs, for example, I remember reviewing that. And there was kind of a couple of, couple of releases in a row where I think we were doing reviews and just feeling like this is a bit of a slog. Couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's if it's been a slightly fallow year. Again, this is all to say that like there's been probably an overwhelming amount of amazing music release that I definitely haven't listened to because there's so much music released every year and there's amazing people doing amazing stuff all the time. But um, I, I haven't had that. I didn't have that retrospective look back where I was overwhelmed by the options for sure this time. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it was a case of when I did go back and start putting stuff together and I actually made like a list of 20, 25 songs or whatever, I did find myself with a pretty healthy list. Yeah. And I do think that what we have here that has come out between you and I, our combined selections, when Adam, who kind of totted up the score, so to speak, uh, and when we got the list back, I was like, they're two really good fucking oh, lists. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think yeah. these are two very, very strong lists, which I guess is in direct There's contradiction. There's definitely been at least 10 good songs released this year. So <laughs> and we have Rest them. easy, folks. We have them. Yeah, have so, them. and the way we're going to do it as well is, we got them. <laughs> the way we're going to do it is, like before, we're going to give you like our 10 down to six in order, and then we will have a top five. Now, we don't know what the points total was, et cetera. We just have them in alphabetical order and we're going to have our usual kind of chat about the five yeah. and try and put them in an order. It'll be an interesting one because when we've done this previously, it's been a trio and I think it does bring the element of, I haven't quite figured out how the points, you know, totting up might have been slightly different with the two of us, but I feel like there is more, there was less of a kind of communal thing of like, here's what we thought was great. And it was more like, this is my individual favourites. This is my individual favourites. We so talked about doing it in that way. Though. Yeah. We, initially, I think we were going to do a thing where it was, you know, like a top five that we do on the show every week. It's like, I'll go, then you go. Then, yeah, that you know. would have been a bit too. But I felt that we would, have had, we would have had direct crossover on more than one occasion. And also I wanted to kind of retain the way that we do it, where it becomes like a kind of... A, I like the discussion, the debate. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like a judge's debate, essentially. I think the scores matter less and less. 
as it goes. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it before as well, where it's like, oh, that one got X points, but in the end, we put it at number three in the chat. So, like, mm-hmm. I think it's about what the music means to you, as it always is the case. And I guess before we get going, uh, any honourable mentions that didn't make the top ten that you want to mention? I, I, I can throw out mine. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So, because um, this isn't my own, th- this would be in my top ten songs of the year, but it's not in our top ten songs of the year. Okay. And I know why it isn't, because you weren't that impressed by it. But I gotta say, I think it stayed the power... Is that a phrase? Stay, stayed the stay course. The, stayed the course. Yeah. Had staying power. Harry Styles as it was. Yeah. Is not, I mean, it was not in our top 10, year. but it's uh, it's in my top 10. I think it's a fabulous song. Um, it's a good bop. I, just, <laughs> I have had issues with it since, as we discussed previously. Um, Justin Hawkins did his dissection of it where he just compared it quite a bit to uh, a has uh, take on me. Um, there's also blinding lights in there as well. There's a lot of stuff. I have loved the... Um, the few different kind of YouTube artists and stuff that have like strokesified it. Like I love those versions. I'm like, wow, this is a lost strokes classic. Um, but yeah, I just, I wasn't bowled over by the album overall. No, Every the time al- it comes on the radio, I'm happy lesser. to hear it. Yeah. But yeah, it just wouldn't be near my top 20. Probably. I never got tired of it. I think, it's a, I think it's a fantastic song and I have seen some kind of snobbery online towards him and people, like, people saying like, how can this be in the same list as Fontaine's and I know who I'd rather listen to. <laughs> Listen, I've I've given that Fontaine's record maybe three or four spins over the course of the year, and um, I kind of enjoy it. I'm not gonna lie; I think they're stepping up. It's their best record, yeah, by for country sure. mile. Second album is their best album, but we'll get we'll, we'll, we can talk we'll about the to, albums. We'll get to Fontaine's episode. I assume Fontaine's in the top five in the albums, yeah. but like we'll, we'll get there. Song wise, I would probably go Yule's "Bites of My Neck," um, which just missed out, which was pretty high up on my list. I think that album overall is really really interesting. Glitch Princess, um, artist from Singapore. Also kind of, I think, Tokyo-based a bit. Um, but yeah, that was just a bit of a hyper-pop moment that really caught me off guard and it felt like something new and dived into the album and wasn't disappointed. So that'll be probably the one I'd go for. I will say a lot of my songs of the year have appeared in No Ox Court, so people can just go back and listen to that on That's Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash No Encore, yeah. our recommends corner that, yes, we do need to increase the frequency of that and hopefully we can do so for sure. in 2023. Uh, Adam, before we yeah. get going into the No Encore Top 10, yeah, yeah. as our presiding sonic architect, and a man who lives in the studio, listens to all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And I think, you know, has maybe a more diverse li- listenership than we would, Craig, you know. I would say so. We love our indie rock, but Adam's out there listening to everything. So what what, what gets your shouts for songs of the year? Um, a, a bit like yourselves, this year was a strange one for me in terms of that I quit my job to do this full time. So my focus was mainly on my work as opposed to listening. I find it kind of difficult. I think a lot of people who work in music and the kind of situation that I'm in where you're in a studio or whatever, I find it kind of difficult then to switch off by listening to music. I feel like every listen becomes an active listen. Yeah. So sometimes that's very difficult. Um. And this year I was focusing a lot more on like movies and series, TV series, audiobooks, stuff like that, podcasts. Um just to kind of get away from work because, you know, when you go home, you kind of want to switch off or when you're not so there, you, you do stick on a podcast yeah. in between compiling the best of No Encore 2022. <laughs> well, like I said, that was a total joy. That was a lot of we fun. We are getting a vinyl pressing of that, right? It's going to be a like quadruple <laughs> vinyl. Five LP, in, yeah. yeah. 2024, um, yeah. There was, a couple of, there was a couple of records that really did it for me this year um, that I found. One of them... Um, I believe made the last no ox chord much like um, some of Craig selects would have yeah. made no ox chord. Um, there's a record label I love called Roche Music in um, in France. Mm. Um, FKJ French Kiwi Juice is their big draw. Um, a lot of people would know him from uh, 
had that song with Masego called Tado. Um, he is one of the featured artists there. And um, that's kind of how I found the label and I started kind of digging into the label and some of my more um, my more favourite artists started collaborating with more artists from their label. So SG yeah. Lewis and a guy called Cartel, uh, K-A-R-T-E-L-L, put out a song. Last year they put, um, Cartel put out an EP. It was a small EP, but it was really, really good. I loved it. Um, so been looking at that label a lot. There's an artist called Darius who's been very, very good. Um, there wasn't wouldn't have a lot of foothold here in Ireland at all. Um, again, just kind of found it through crate digging. So it's a bit of a hipster select, but he has a great song called Ease Your Mind, okay. um, which I really, really liked. It was one of the lead singles from his album that came out in March 2022, which was called... I can't think of it right now what the name of the record we'll is. We do a Spotify but playlist include. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Ease Your Mind uh, by Darius and I think Devin Tracy is the featured artist on it. Nice. Um, really, really good record. Kind of very much in the funk, disco slash dance world. Um, dance records are a thing I connected a lot with this year. Went back to another record label I would have listened to uh, called Anjuna Beats who are big, a big trance record label. Um, and I had a friend um, who's based in Canada, Caitlin Charters is her name. She had featured on a song with a guy called Lil Ann Bluestone and BT, who's a big trans name, massive name in trans, who I would have like loved back in the day. Has a great song called Break My Fall with Tiesto from like mid-2000s. But they put out a compilation record. They do like a compilation record every year. Um, I think it's just called Anjuna Beats Volume, whatever. Um, and there was a couple of great songs on there. Firefly was a great one by, I think, Sonny Lax. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was like the intro to the whole thing I thought was absolutely phenomenal I can't think of the name of it I'm going to look it up right now on my my Spotify wrapped because I know it's there nice um, it is called Deserve You by Jordan Post and Dan Soleil um, it's a great great record the extended mix is like six minutes long but it's fucking phenomenal so well, like, they're, they're my big shits all just stuff that myself and Dave would probably never stumble across so like the God knows what's out there that we just haven't heard, obviously. But likewise, every time like I come into a top five with you guys, I always find myself going away. Or even in Oxford, I find myself going away with something new. Yeah. Because the palette that I would have, it does differ a lot to you guys. But I've loved it. And like even today, Dave just gave me back a load of records that I lent to him. And I currently still have a load of his records that he's lent to me. Give them back. <laughs> Shake, you can't hear see him shaking his fist on, on the mic, indie rock thing it, was, it just made me think of like at our recent um, work Christmas party I was chatting to a colleague and he was asking about like Spotify wrapped and I was bemoaning the fact that all my genres were so basic I'm just like they used to be so interesting and I thought I was like a like an eclectic listener and I just got like indie rock and hip hop and yada yada and uh, he said oh actually I got some interesting ones apparently um, my favourite genre is something called Stomp and Holler hey. which I was very pleased with <laughs> and I haven't spoken to him since <laughs> I was like oh the Lumineers is yeah <laughs> Mumford and Sons kind of stuff I yeah. mean just to mention Spotify rap really quick I know some people think it's the tool of the devil but like I think it is reflective of my listening this year that the vast majority of songs not just in my top five on the Spotify rap but the entire you know 101 song mm. playlist it gives you the vast majority of songs are not from 2022 yeah. for me. Yeah, a, lot of, too, a yeah. lot of them are from 2020 and 2021 and before that as well and I think this year as well and I'm sure this is going to crop up as we get along with the episodes, both this one and the next one. It's going to be impossible for me not to mention personal, you know, issues I've gone through this year. So uh, buckle up. But essentially, <laughs> it's going to be fun. A lot of the music has has kind of been like what I was drawn to and like what I kind of clung to this year. And I, I just found it hard for new music to kind of 
permeate that too often, which isn't to say that it's not out there. Of course it is. And, you know, there's so many incredible places online uh, that deal specifically with new music. That's their that's their day-to-day, that's their purview. So when we say that these are the best 10 songs of the year, it's very much these are Craig Fitzpatrick and Dave Hanready's best 10 songs of the year, yeah. favourite 10 songs of the year, and what we kind of managed to come up with together. So I think that's enough dancing around. Let's get into the top 10 songs of 2022, as chosen by your beloved No Encore, Gruesome Twosome. Number 10. Number 10, it's Nilifer Yanya with Midnight Sun. This arrived pretty early in the year and actually gave me hope for 2022, Dave. So let's go back to that more innocent time. Um, we're claiming her as our own, right? Because I think her ma's a mixture of Irish and Barbadian. So yeah, she's one of us. Craig says we, this is news to me. <laughs> um, yeah, she is a London-based artist. This is her second record. Um, the album's second from is called Painless. And her debut came out in 2019. That was Miss Universe. I was a big fan of that one. Um, yeah, so... So it's an interesting one because the first album ha- was very eclectic. Um, she can excel in a range of genres um, and it was kind of all the better for it. But on this one, it's much more streamlined. It is kind of a lot in that alt-rock, almost throwback 90s vein. Um, she's clearly someone that is a fan of stuff like The Breeders. I hear kind of placebo in this a little bit. Definitely, yeah. Um, and it's, it's weird because so many of these songs, and they're all expertly crafted Um, they're not overworked just so well done but they stick to these kind of very 90s quiet loud dynamics but usually the loud part never actually kicks in which is kind of pickles my brain a bit but it will you will hit what you think is the chorus and it's going to be like a absolute eruption and there's a bit of that low rumble on this one that's probably the volcanic point of the album but overall it's just it retains a sense of mystery keeps you wanting more it's very, very well produced. You're also in a bit of shoegaze dream pop yeah, territory so. as well, yeah. uh, which I think is incredible. I was convinced this was 2021. No. And I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very glad to see it pop up in this list. Um, as you just saw the fear in my eyes as I went, no. No, no, no we actually did that January, last year. Though. We, we, had, we included dry cleaning last year and it turned out that was, we, yeah, we were actually like off. A, yeah. No one checked it, which I was furious about afterwards. And you know what? Like we're at a stage where I'm, I don't know what's the what's the best way to work it because we've had Little Little Sims and SZA put out stuff that yes. we probably would have maybe featured. I've only given them a couple of spins. Well, we can talk about that on the album's episode. Yeah. But we get into this weird canyon of just like... There's a problem with this. The yeah. problem is that Critics List, for example, even us doing this now, so the 23rd of December this episode comes out yes. and the 30th our album's episode comes out and I already feel like, oh, fuck, we're too late. Yeah. But we're not too late because I understand pulling the shutters down in December on new music. And I know that some people think that that's a crime. And I know some people hate lists in general. That's fine. But like the point is, it has now become uh, the norm to have critic lists come out in mid-November. Yeah. And at the very latest, the late November. And it's just like, okay, I get it. But that, I don't, it doesn't sit entirely right with me. I think like we took two weeks off to like 
indulge in as much music as we could and kind of go back over the year. And I'm not saying the critics didn't do that themselves at the end of October, start of November, but like you're wiping out like six weeks to two months there of new music. And again, we'll talk about SZA and Little Sims on the next episode. I do want to, but it's a strange, I think, terrain. And then of course you also have these lists where, for example, like fucking Heat Waves by Glass Animals pops up and they're like, we know it's from 2020, but it's still in the charts. I mean, that's not how it works. Like the goalposts keep getting moved and that's getting into a whole like, you know, critical whatever the fuck but like yeah the dry cleaning thing last year that was actually a mistake that we made whereas this is from 2022. Well, I'm imagining like next year I mean Young Fathers have put out stuff this year single wise mm-hmm. that will feature on what I imagine will be an incredible album next year. Can't wait for that album. Will we forget about those tracks? Will they end up you know what I mean if they're highlights of the album? Well Geronimo by Young Fathers was in my like top 25 Yeah, uh, and I'm so looking forward to that album they are a wonderful band but Nila Fiyanya who we're here to talk about now in this, in this number 10 is a hell of an artist I'm really into her stuff and I was delighted to see this pop up in our 10 I think it's a great one and it was in my uh, I mentioned that you know I didn't have that many songs from 2022 in my Spotify wrapped but this was ever since you introduced it to right. me on I think it was No Ox Chord it was Lee yeah. I've been listening to it all year it's great it is the hypnotic thing that you say it doesn't it's skyscraping without ever being abrasive about it it's and it a, feels like a dream or something. Yeah, it's a very poppy moment for her. Um, she does kind of write a lot of great pop stuff, but there's just enough difference in it. There's enough of those, like just trying to mess around on guitar and play it. It's like a lot of kind of power chords, but then sevens and things where chords where it's just like you have to stretch your finger that little bit too far, which I can't quite do, <laughs> but she can and her band can. And it just brings you into disarming territory. There's a left field chord kind of just at the moment you think you're going to get the typical poppy release. And again, the best kind of alt-rock anthems would do that. And it just keeps you coming back for more. It's that novelty plus amazing repetition. Um, just explaining how music works now to everyone. But uh, she's brilliant at it, yeah. Wait, so have you tried to play this on guitar? Yeah. It's it's not too tricky, but there's a lot of kind of like... I thought I had big hands, but I don't think I do. Or maybe <laughs> my fingers aren't that long. Um well, yeah, I, I should I say as we as we move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Maybe you'll feel more comfortable in the new year. We can talk about it then. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> I should say uh, before we move on, though, that one thing Craig and I do have is head colds on this episode. Oh yeah, so we're sounding very. Um, I hope we don't sound too annoying to listen to, more so than usual. But I'd say we sound do? quite like there's a lushness to our our voices at the moment, and our timbre is a bit richer. But there'll be a bit kind of of additional. Sp- Bluttering and yeah. slaughtering. And we sound urbane. Right. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Happy Christmas. So just like before we move on to say I'm the picture of health at the moment. You always are. And have us. to disinfect these microphones when you're finished <laughs> yeah, with them. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. All right. <laughs> Funny joke about Jesus. <laughs> Fucking just assume you do that every week. You don't know where I've been. Um. I, feel, uh, I feel uncomfortable now. And now in our number nine, a song that I think made some people feel uncomfortable, but I think it's actually quite beautiful. Number nine. <laughs> Got closer, it was all forgiven. I said them F bombs, I ain't know any better. Mistakenly, I ain't think that you know any different. See, I was taught words was nothing more than a sound. If ever they was pronounced without any intentions. The very second you challenged the shit I was kicking. Reminded me about a show I did out the city. That time I brought a fan on stage to rap. But disapproved a word that she couldn't say with me. You said Kendrick ain't no room for contradiction. To truly understand. It's Kendrick Lamar, it's Auntie Diaries from Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. An album that we might talk about in a week's time. I don't know. But in the meantime, um, this song is exceptional. I don't know where to begin and I'm I'm not sure I'm up to it because I think you could write a thesis on this one. 
there's a couple of there are many standout moments on the album and we spent an entire episode discussing it and it is an album that I struggle with but I think the two biggest kind of standouts in terms of like well this could be a play or a book yeah. or a film or something there's more going on here than just a song would be Auntie Diaries and also We Cry Together mm-hmm. and I think out of the two of those this is the one I much prefer because I don't really like the other one but I understand what it's doing and I respect its existence but this one Auntie Diaries which uh, I guess for anyone who just missed this song for some reason um, it's an epic it's a bit of an odyssey and I think the music there that you hear towards the end really reflects this because it does ascend in such an incredible way and this is a song about Kendrick's past and also his reckoning with that and his his present and perhaps a more hopeful uh, inclusive and loving future Yeah, it's a very complex tale about a relative of his who transitioned and how yeah, society trans re- uncles, yeah. yeah how society reacted to that and how he reacted to that and how his use of language and how all these things had to evolve and for him to get to a point now where he actually is incredibly not just now because like the story that you hear you know at, at a young age he defends you know like his relative from you know religious oppression and yeah i mean already i don't even know where to begin now i mean like I, when it dropped, when the album dropped, this song was making a lot of kind of Twitter headlines, essentially, because a lot of people were saying, like, you know, I think people kind of misread it at first, and they were like, it's anti-trans, or he's dead naming, etc. And, you know, it should be said at this point, of course, that anyone from the trans community, of course, is going to have a lot more education and yeah. lived experience than I have, and their, you know, arguments for and against the song are probably more worth listening to than my own. But I can only read this song as one of love and one of tolerance and overcoming hate because that's what it's about it's about when you're younger the things that you say you know as part of a group or whatever a peer group and then trying to rebel against that and realizing that you were wrong and there's a beautiful beautiful moment in this one where Kendrick describes being in a church and how the pastor was singling out his uncle and essentially saying that this person's an abomination mm-hmm. but Kendrick goes to bat for them and there's this moment where, you know, they share this kind of embrace or this kind of smile. And I just thought it was such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And people kind of, some people have criticized the song for, you know, for quote unquote dead naming. But it's also, you're telling a story that evolves chronologically point, over time. Yeah. Exactly. And it's also about, you know, Kendrick also uses the F-bomb, the F-slur in this. But again, that's the point of it. The point is that, like, he has to realize what that word meant then, what it means now. And how in his life... Showing the ugliness of it and the transition out of that, yeah. And he's being honest. He's being honest about his life and who he was as a person. And show me a person who, you know, didn't, you know, fucking say stupid things when they were growing up and didn't realise. For a lot of people in the world, it takes a moment of you saying an awful thing and someone stopping you and saying, no, 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 you can't say that and here's why. And I think this song would hopefully have done that for an awful lot of people who listen to Kendrick. Anyone who comes away from the song and thinks that it's about demonization is not listening to the song correctly. 100%. And it's a poem, and it's a play, and it's beautiful, and the music is fucking gorgeous, and his ability, his way of telling the story, I think it's one of the most humane and honest and fearless things to ever that he's ever done. Yeah. And I think for the most part, from what I've seen, most people have gotten that message. But I think for people who are misreading it, I'm kind of shocked because it's him standing up in front of you and saying, I fucked up massively, but I love this person and I'm going to show you how much I love this person and how much I love all people in this vein. And, you know, in the hip-hop world, etc., 
not everyone's doing that. And for Kendrick to be the person not, yeah. doing that, especially on an album where he's talking about how he doesn't want to be this Christ-like figure, this standard bearer. But he's like, here's a story from my life. And here's someone I love. And I want to show them how much I love them. But I also need to reckon with my own situations here. And I can't be a hypocrite. There's so much in this. Yeah. I think the key thing is that opening line, like that snippet where he says, uh, heart plays in ways the mind can't figure out. It's about like the messiness of grappling with things that you're trying to work through. Um, And he's showing, as I say, the ugliness. He's showing where he was wrong. I think he does that a lot on this album. And I think it's to his credit, um, even talking about his kind of relationship issues, which he was at fault for, his infidelity, stuff like that. He didn't have to come back with an album that portrayed him on so many songs as less than this godlike rap figure that everyone looks to as like, you know, a leader of the, you know, not just kind of like a leader in terms of music, but in terms of, you know, the community uh, at large and in terms of culture. He's this figurehead. He could have just got back on his I'm imparting wisdom thing. He's not doing it. He's here saying, I'm not sure I even want to do this. It's been an awful lot. And actually, you don't know me that well because here's all the shitty stuff I've been doing. And I think that is the most liberating thing you can possibly do. Uh, I'm glad you kind of pointed out the production on it because it just really works so well. That kind of dull tud at the start. Um, it kind of increases in frequency. It kind of turns into a heartbeat almost. And then you've got those strings swelling and it just turns into this onrush of hope and brightness and the light comes in and it's it's tremendous. And yeah, there was a lot written about this. I always remember the Pitchfork overall review, I think, that talked about this being bad allyship, which was just, I think that the, the main point of the criticism was that um, he makes this song all about him and he should be telling the story of his uncle. And it's like, no, the story isn't about his uncle. It's about him. It's about his problems, his flaws, and how he got to a point where he can actually support people like his uncle and the love and grace that were shown in, you know, in turn to him. Um, so it's about so much more than just a character study. It's about how we all kind of lift each other up, I think. Um, I didn't feel like it was clumsy at all. I think it was a, a display of why he is an absolute master. Yeah. On point, yeah. But there was also the stereo gun piece, which was the premature evaluation piece, which itself went out on the day of the release of the album. Again, double album. We talked about this to death. Stop reviewing albums so fast, but also you kind of have to. Yeah. It's that double-edged sword. And people try their best. And Stereo Gum in particular always present that as like, here's our premature evaluation. That's what it's called. And it was the person who wrote it was very much like, look, I know, I know, I know, but I do want to talk about this album. And that's fair enough. No one should be denied doing that. You know, we only had like, what, a week with it before we did our review. And even then I walked away from that being like, I don't know if I've come fucking close. But I remember that review. And in my opinion, that review got this song completely wrong. At one stage, it was like, it refers to how... The person Kendrick is talking about essentially said we didn't talk for a while because they were sad being around me. And it's like, that's such a huge admission. Mm. And it's about how Kendrick realized that he had to change his behavior and the language he was using was not okay. But at the time, because he was saying, oh, we used to like make all these very edgy jokes together. I don't understand why, like, what is it now? But it's like, you broke that person's heart and that's the point. They reconnect eventually. And it's a really sad admission in the song. It's really sad to hear. And I remember reading that review and it's saying like, well, why do you think that is, Kendrick, that they don't want to hang out with you? And it's like, Kendrick gets it. That's what the whole fucking song's about. That's the point of the song. Yeah. How do you misread it to that degree? This is, like, I know you're saying it's it's not about the other person. I I, I think it is. But also, yes, crucially, it's about him. And it's even about ends, both of them. It's yeah. about, you know. But crucially, it's about the author of the song and the author of this album. And, like, you know, as you say, 
this supposedly infallible figure who's been raised to such a degree that they're like actually challenging that back, which is the most interesting thing about that album. Yeah. It's very existence and what it stands for, even if I do have problems with it from a musical point of view or whatever. Point is, um, essentially, the end of the song has like a bit of a sting in the tail, a bit of a knife twist, yeah. but it's directed at himself. It's about someone teaching him a lesson and how even though you have evolved and even though you maybe were ahead of the curve in terms of your friend group and how you actually always had love for this person, it might have taken you some time to get there, you still have lessons to learn. Mm. You're not the finished article. And even though you are correct in your condemnation of white people using the N-word, you know, and your fans shouldn't be allowed to do that, no question, you have to understand that for you... That problem that you have there is the problem that I have over here. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're getting there, but you're not fully there. And he's saying that. He's standing in front of you and saying, yeah, fuck, I, I, I still have tons to learn, but also this behavior can bother me and I'm working on this and I fucked up there. And, it's, and you know, and, and, and the whole point of it is that at the heart of it is this relationship that can be repaired. And again, that's empathy. That's love. And the way that the song just builds and changes by the end of it, like... I don't want it to stop. Yeah. It's a clearly difficult subject matter to ever tackle as a musician. And I think for a lot of people, maybe it might be hard to, to listen to. But I think it's really fucking beautiful and really, really important. And I think it's the standout track on this album. I think it's amazing. Um, Just an open question before we move on. With, like, I love everything you've spoken about there. I think it's like, you've hit the nail on the head each time and it just like sums up the song perfectly in I mean, I don't know if we critical have. analysis. <laughs> I, I, no, for, no, me, for, like, for, for me, as like, you know, someone who's kind of taken that in and who kind of doesn't necessarily have that hat on, but do you think anyone else could do this or is it just Kendrick that could? Because I Good couldn't, question. I couldn't see the sincerity re as far reaching with another artist with the exception of maybe a Tyler, the creator. Like, I think Tyler could do it. Yeah. I think if, but like, I think if like Drake came along and did this, it'd no. just be reviled, you know, and rightly so. I think because Chris Martin of Coldplay could obviously do it. No, <laughs> I mean, uh, that's a really tough question. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, again, I don't expect it's an a really answer tough question but, because, like, I mean, like, it comes down to a human being's lived experience. And there's every chance that fucking Taylor Swift could do an incredible thing with this. It's just, I think it's, it's putting yourself into a conversation that is bigger than you. Yeah, and you have to be able to step away from that and look what happens. Like, I don't think Kendrick, I think with something like We Cried Together, I think he is throwing a verbal hand grenade out into the world and seeing like how Twitter will react. In this one, I don't know if it is. It feels more personal. Not to say that the other song isn't personal. It clearly is. But I do think that, I think he's sincere. I think that, that that's the main thing. And I'm sure that there's many an artist who could absolutely tackle this subject matter as an outsider into the trans world as well, which is, of course, what he is. You know, like, it's not his experience, but it's his experience of being connected to someone mm -hmm. who has gone through that experience and him trying to make sense of it and trying to find the heart. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's a great question. It's also an impossible question because, like... Yeah, yeah. I can you answer the Drake bit. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. Okay, speaking of Drake, um, let's go to his arch nemesis. Best friend. Number eight. Number eight. We the only 
and click, taking risks, touching lives, fuck your hits, touch the skies when you rich, every drop make them blitz, I done drove every six, I done glowed every wrist, every plot got a twist, when you sink a battleship, I'm confused by your list, who are you to convince, all the muse that I sent, what I miss, I've been getting at these coins as I'm breaking down a brick, made the jump Super Mario, Pusha T, rock and roll, he cancelled his gig, he broke our hearts, yeah. and yet here he is. Um, taken from It's Almost Dry um, which is his latest record um, a much longer record than Daytona seven tracks um, no fade outs from a couple of years previously and it felt like we were finally getting spoiled with Pusha do you know what I mean just in terms of you had um, Pharrell and Kanye sharing produ- production duties so his two kind of you know Production titans over the years, we've haven't seen them really operating together in that way. We've been getting a lot of kind of push projects where it's a taster. He excels on everything, but sometimes you feel like, okay, he's feeding on like amazing beats, but it feels like scraps or it's not the wider project. This overall felt like, yeah, it's just a total feast. And I think Dave, this might have been your top pick, right? Yeah. Rock and roll. Yeah, it is. Rock and roll is the song and I think it's it's my standout from It's Almost Dry, which has a lot of standouts on it yeah. and this is the one I kept coming back to. I think it's electricity. It makes me feel good. I think it's seamlessly kind of beautiful, but the way it was constructed isn't so seamless and I mean you heard Kid Cudi in the clip there. So Cudi recorded his feature at a certain point and then he gets put onto the track, and so does Kanye West. Yeah. At that point, Cudi and Kanye had fallen out. And of course, this also predates the rather horrible streak that Kanye is currently on. Yeah. Something you and I, I think, have been avoiding for the most part on the show for obvious reasons, because we we do love Kanye and we want the best for him. But obviously right now is an incredibly worrying and difficult time. And what he's been saying is just abhorrent and there's no defense. But I will say I am very, very worried about the guy, truthfully. And we can talk about that some other time. I hope yeah. we don't have to any further, but like... I think we had, we had, even prior to the latest kind of horrific stuff, and it's just been like an absolute nightmare. It might have been the start of the year. It was probably last year, actually. Actually, no, it wouldn't have been because Donda was around. But I'd say at the start of the year, we'd made that dis- discussion. We'd had that discussion on the show, I think, and made a decision of just like everything coming out f- about Kanye at the moment is media kind of just picking up like his rants and clear signs that he's not in a good place and he is not doesn't seem like someone that's in the right mind and the only reason there's this constant churn of news is because it's getting clicks for people and we're like we're just feeding into it if we talk about it so we've kind of stayed well enough alone and yeah, it's, it's only gotten worse. It's gotten much worse. Yeah. And like, not to get too hard into it, but like, obviously everyone's aware of what he's been saying lately. But if you've actually listened to the audio of how he said it, it sounds like as someone who is either doesn't know what they're saying or is saying it for shock value or is having a genuine manic episode. And these are not to defend him in that regard or to like condone or like tamp down the remarks because the remarks are beyond the pale. But I do believe that the man needs genuine psychiatric help. He seems to be resisting it. I hope for a better future for him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, get one. You know, if you saw an ill person on the street ranting and raving, you wouldn't stand there and go, "Well, what point are you trying to make here? This seems like dangerous rhetoric." Like you're at a point where it's someone's mental health. I think he's being manipulated as well. Not in terms of the things he's saying; he's saying them himself. Yeah. But I think in terms of him being put in, put in there on these shows and stuff. But like again, it's really sad all around. It's horrendous. It's a horrible, <clears throat> horrible thing, especially for someone who, in my opinion, has given so much good to the world in in the form of music. And I don't like this thing of, you know, people queuing up to be like, well, look what you said now, or hey, what do you think as a fan? As a fan, my heart is broken. Yeah. And I really want him to get better and for him to apologize for everything he said and to try and get help and try and mend himself because 
it's it's only going in one direction and it's a horrible, horrible direction. I don't want to think about that. But why am I mentioning him? Because he's on this track and he co-produced this album and this is obviously the best of him. But he's on here with Cuddy and Cuddy didn't like that. And he basically was like, that's it. You're never going to hear me and Kanye on a track again. That may very well prove to be the case. Maybe I'm clinging to something here as a huge fan of Kids See Ghosts. Well, but yeah, with the three of them, it's like an end of an era, really, isn't it? It's also a perfect song that showcases them perfectly. Um, like, you got Cuddy is the angel here, Kanye is the kind of the menace in the background, and Push is just the, the director of traffic. Just He's just pushing. <laughs> it's such a great song. I think it's... I think every decision that is made on it works. I think it is a shot of adrenaline. And again, yeah, it's, it is it it is the end of an era and that's sad and I don't want to lose that and I want to cling to it and I want this song to be there as a bolt of lightning and a reminder of what these people are capable of when they're all on the side of the angels. And like I say, I don't know what the future holds for Kanye West, but I really hope that things get better. I really, really do. And I'm tired of seeing people. I saw an article, fucking bullshit article that was like, this has nothing to do with mental health. Stop. Yeah. Put the fucking pen down. Put the laptop away. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And it's not to defend what he said, because you can't defend that. But you can defend the man, and you can hope that he gets better. And I really, really hope that that happens. Yeah. I, I'd seen a lot of tweets just around the kind of, when all of this stuff was happening, of just really odd stuff of people saying, well, my friend's schizophrenia um, has never made them say anything. That's so about, fucked you know up. What like, I mean? like, what are you talking about? in the house. It's this weird thing of just like, so we only discuss mental health when it improves you as a person? Like this, oh, it's so odd. It's, have, like, have people yeah. experienced someone who goes on a psychotic episode? Yeah, it's, you know, and beyond belief. Like, like yeah. their brain breaks and they don't, like, like it's, again another conversation of the day but there's a, a a serious lack of empathy out there and it's not please don't get it wrong no one is defending what he has said 100% yeah I'm worried about him as a person and I'm allowed to be that I'm allowed to worry about him as a person yeah, anyway back to sure. the song which is a great song I know <laughs> it's a great song how do, you, how, how do you not talk about these things like I mean like it's just so yeah I know yeah, yeah it would have been weird not to um, it's a classic kind of chipmunk soul flip I think it's Beyonce isn't it it's one plus one um, which is great as well because she's just very much in that universe so it just feels fitting uh, I do like um, Kid Cudi in particular but also Kanye doing that very melodic thing because it just balances out pushes rapping so well there's just a lovely balance to everything they do together even though this was kind of maybe slightly cobbled together it doesn't feel like that and yeah one of the highlights from a really nice album so we move on number seven Yes, yes, it's Rosa Walton and Jenny Hollingworth, a.k.a. Let's Eat Grandma, which is still not a great name, but they're a great band. They are. It's the most wonderful time of the year! (laughs) (laughs) The song is called Happy New Year, of course. It is taken from the album Two Ribbons, which came out last year as well. And yeah, was this the third single, I think it was, off of it? Came out, actually, yeah, it came out on the 4th of January, which is appropriate for uh, the song title. We were really taken with this album and this song and what what the two people involved have been up to in their lives and how they've communicated that through their music. Um, I was quite surprised not to see them on a lot of end of your lists. I'm very glad that they're in ours because yeah. I think their music has been such a gift to the world this year. And this song is, it's got an incredible 
uh, unfolding to it, I think. And the more you go back to it, I hear more with it. I believe this was a top pick for you. Yeah, I've been playing this a lot. Um, I think when we reviewed the album, um, I loved it at the time. I still do. I've gone back to it. I'd kind of predicted that it was going to be one of those records that like helps you out when you need it the most, like at some point in the near future. Pretty and sure that of, was like a direct quote for me in the yeah, review. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been one of those. I just think those kind of joyous um, pillars of synths that are going on are like, it feels like Pet Shop Boys at their absolute, like ebullient dance floor best. But then lyrically, you've got them just doing this very interesting storytelling thing of like, Pet Shop Boys at their most empathetic best. Um, it's the little details. It's all about their friendship, um, how they became estranged, grew because of it and, you know, found a way to kind of move on in a more grown up way with the relationship, which is just really striking to me. Um, it's, yeah, it's a very thoughtful song. It's very wistful. And I love the joyous pop sheen that's applied to it because it's completely fitting. It's a great opener because it feels like a celebration um, that comes before the fucking lead up to it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You're very much deep in the throes of the difficulties they were having pretty soon after this song. Um, but if you've got the album on repeat, which I've had uh, a lot throughout this year, when you get to the end of their journey, this kicks back in and it feels like, oh, this is almost, it's an intro, but also it's like a, a fitting kind of finale or next step. Um, it's great. Yeah, and if you play this uh, at midnight on <laughs> January 1st, you'll be just in time to hear this song for the new year. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, I think that this song, obviously, and the album itself that it's taken from is a huge testament to the friendship between these two people, yeah. but it comes at that crossroads. And I think ultimately the song is a perfect microcosm, as you said. In, in regards to that because it feels like a decision was made it feels like they could have split up the band and maybe even like their friendship could have deviated but instead it was no no we're going to throw ourselves together although of course in a different way in terms of the songwriting this is the first album where they wrote separately yeah and then so this combined is Rose, Rosa Walton right I think she, she took the reins on this one I believe so yeah. yeah and essentially it was a case of let's just collide let's just throw ourselves in our current states and they're still quite young mid 20s early 20s like I mean like 20s when they're they're on the fucking third album like and all of them have been really really good so um yeah and like age shouldn't really matter but like they're clearly in this very formative time and they've had personal tragedies already and just all this kind of stuff but like their music has strengthened in my opinion and I hope that their bond as friends has strengthened sounds like it has there's some beautiful beautiful lines on this that I remember referring to in the album review like you know, you'll know you'll always be my best friend and look what we made it through. I can't even say that line without feeling sad. It know, really catches so, me. Yeah. Because I think that's just so perfectly defined because they're like, let's not give up on this. Let's actually double down and maybe that will create more problems and who knows, maybe it won't work, maybe it won't be perfect, but I'd rather be with you than not. Yeah. And there's all these little stuff like, you know, them referring back to their childhoods and had yeah, the little details waiting for like, like being in the igloo and like waiting yeah, for yeah. snow like you know yeah. all year and then getting it one day and then like you know just like that like creating their little like their world together and it's just such a it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous song and yeah like did you mention Pet Shop Boys there because yeah, it has <laughs> but it has all the hallmarks of that like very specific UK 80s pop mm-hmm. yeah and again I find myself being like why aren't these guys like one of the bigger bands yeah, the, massive, I don't yeah. get it so yeah um, Happy New Year by Let's Eat Grandma I'm gonna challenge you guys again okay like I did in the review why isn't this higher in the list uh, I mean do you think this is one of the like top tracks of the year I mean for you guys it, w- it would have appeared so yeah yeah I, I would have thought like based on based on the review 
like based on the review alone is what I'm kind of going back to here. This is revisionist history <laughs> because yeah. I think you gave it a nine. <laughs> I did give it a nine, yeah. We're not talking about the album. I know. We're Who not. knows if that will feature in our top ten? Number fifty. <laughs> Two ribbons. Yeah, it just like like because obviously it's such a an important song for the year for like you two as yeah. individuals. And for, and for Bono and the boys, of course. I'm just so surprised that it's not higher in the list. I will say it's to the strength of the album that maybe there's a number of those kind of important songs and that can maybe Fair water enough, down yeah. the voting and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's just, I, I, it's a numbers game maybe. <laughs> there are other tracks as well. I mean, like, for example, like Watching You Go. Yeah. Which, um, like, I'm just going to fucking lose it. Like, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I was walking to, to therapy this morning for what turned out to be a really fucking hard session. But like, and I was walking, I was going along and I was like slightly late because I'm always slightly late for that. And of course, there's ice everywhere. Yeah. And I don't have great grips on my runners, and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna fucking fall and smash my head open. Great. So I'm just like, you know, just try and go along and be careful. But I was like, I want to get some last listens in to some stuff before we do the podcast today. And watching you go came on, and I fucking burst out crying, mm. walking up the street with the sun blasting down on ice. And I was like, I don't give a fuck, you know, who sees me, it doesn't matter. But I was just weeping. I was like. This song is so beautiful. And yeah. I didn't I didn't pick that in my songs. But like <laughs> that doesn't make it any less beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, fair you know, I feel like probably not the last time we're gonna talk about this act. So <laughs> who knows? But it is worth pointing out that songs can still be beautiful if they don't feature on this specific list. Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't make you cry in public, you know, that's okay <laughs> as well. I believe we've one more before we get to our top five. Yeah. Number six. Number six. Number six. Number six. Number six. Delazir, it's Dream 2, it's me getting misty-eyed on a train going to work <laughs> in the morning for a lot of this year. It's a 12-minute long song, Dave. Um, it's one of my highlights from an album I really, really love. Um, Vitamins and Apprehension is the album that it comes from. It's a bit uh, of a shaggy dog song. It's a bit of a kind of heartfelt jam it seems to me sometimes when I put it on, it's almost akin to like watching someone's like Twitch stream or like, you know, something like windowswap.com where you just kind of like you're working away on the laptop and you've got like a window to someone in like Buenos Aires or something just looking out at their view or something like that. So you just kind of live in this song. You could probably tighten it up. It's um, Delazir recording in her bedroom and you could probably beef up the sound and I've no doubt she will go on to do kind of amazing, kind of better produced stuff. But there's two kind of counter twin melodies within this that just kind of oscillate back and forth and both of them are the two melodies that have been stuck in my head the most this year and they're just magical. I think she's really, really got something. Um, she's a Korean artist. She's part of that whole scene I guess at the moment with like the likes of Parnell yeah which you're a massive fan of is, this is hugely evocative yeah of, massively yeah. yeah also sorry just to stop you one point here because like you know this is an audio medium so I'm always mindful that sometimes I'm like because this was a discovery for me as well yeah just for anyone who might be like I want to go look that up how do you spell her name so it's D-E-L-L-A 
and then surname is Z Y or, and this is Dream Two. Yeah. It's um, vitamins and apprehension, and yeah, I think she gets like six thousand monthly listeners or something on Spotify. What so the hell? she hasn't quite bro- broken through as yet. I think it's probably coming. But yeah, the whole record is very very accomplished. Um, it's quite Shieldsian in its way. Like it's <laughs> the more kind of beautiful moments of My Bloody Valentine. She just has that kind of melodic knack. Um, you know, the playing and production isn't quite at that level as yet. But um, I didn't realise, like this is sung partially in English and Korean. I didn't know what the lyrics were going on about until this week when I was trying to get some like actual research together on it and there wasn't much out there. But I, I don't know, I still don't know what the Korean is. But I now know what the English she's singing is. And it starts with spitting out blood along with broken teeth, lugging a heavy body across the street. I'm like, what? I thought it was just a nice kind of folky dream pop song. Um, hiding under covers with bated breath, hearing him climbing through my shattered window. Jesus Christ. So that is not the melody you just heard. That's the first part, which is a really jaunty, gorgeous melody. And it switches into this mode then. And it goes to a much nicer place where it's almost like this dreamlike escape and moment of transcendence and it goes back and forth. And it's clearly like dealing with trauma, dealing with whatever's going on in your life and just finding that balm and soothingness. And yeah, there's there's probably problems with the record overall, but she's huge potential and not a lot written about her as yet. Um, There was like I found to the extent that I found one write up of uh, a live gig she did. Uh, maybe a month or two ago with Paranormal. No way. Yeah. Oh and the whole God. crew. Oh, come on. In Seoul. <laughs> come to Brazil. In Seoul. So there was a show called Digital Dawn in the Rolling Hall that had Paranormal, uh, Asian Glow, Broken Teeth. I don't know if there's any relation to that, that song. Delazir and a bunch of others. But anyway, it was on, the write-up was on what I think was like a blog for Mich- Michigan State University's um, college radio station. <laughs> Excellent. Written by a guy called, uh, he's he's down as Matt Cruz, comma, media librarian. <laughs> <laughs> and I was reading through it and he details every single act and he rhapsodizes about her. <laughs> like it's just like with each strum and each verse, Delazir commanded all the attention to her dream pop, ribboning off her fingertips and onto the floor, oozing into the crowd below and it goes on and on but then he talks about um her set shed the skin of familiarity to reveal something new an 11 minute transformational epic featuring back and vocals from Paranormal, <laughs> and just goes on to how amazing it is so i haven't heard that as yet but Jesus um christ get me there now. we're gonna get like a super group <sighs> yeah. of, of korean shoegaze <laughs> he wraps he wraps up that point with um Last I heard, Slow Dive is scrambling for how to follow up the song. Excellent. Uh, this guy should write for Hot Press. Uh, so essentially, <laughs> yeah, Craig also mentioned the artist Paranol there who featured on our and Earless last year, I believe. Yeah. yeah. To, yeah oh, to see the next to part. To see the next part of the dream. To see the next part of the dream. So yeah. album, the so artist Paranol, again, P-A-R-A-N-N-O-U-L. So yeah, check out Delazir, check out Paranol because something is happening over there and it's fucking amazing. Yeah. So yeah, nice. Let's go. I love a good 12-minute song uh, in <laughs> yep. Into the List. But it didn't make the top five, which is maybe shocking. I mean, maybe Adam's contention of like, why aren't these great songs higher? Yeah. It can only mean, Craig, that we've got five unbelievable songs, right? So, and the way sure. it's going to work, of course, is we're going to play a supercut in alphabetical order of the artist, of the five songs we have. Then we will go through them. And we're going to have a debate, essentially, about yeah. you know what should go where. Trash though. For which I should announce, I am completely unprepared for. <laughs> I'm also emotionally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we please be absolutely sure that there's a I don't even know where to begin. Will we just assign random numbers and just close down the show? Maybe. <laughs> Rather than dissect be, all of these epics. It has to be the most emotional top five we've ever put together. Uh, like, this is the are you all right, lads? Of, <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. So what you heard there was, in, in this order, you heard There'd Better Be a Mirror Ball by Arctic Monkeys. Yes. The Next 20th Century by Father John Misty. Brothers by Gang of Youths. Two Ribbons by the returning Let's Eat Grandma. Mm. And lastly, you heard About You by the 1975. Keeping a poppy. Should be said, uh, Zara Hedeman isn't with us in this episode, and Father John Missy in 1975, <laughs> she'd She's love this. <laughs> Sorry, Zara. <laughs> and Arctic Monkeys, because I, I think it's the cheese. Oh, yeah, she yeah. hated the last record. Doesn't love the current direction. Yeah. So give me those five again, Craig. What, you just want me to read them again? Yeah. Okay. Try to keep the listener, you know, like in touch here. All engagement, Craig. All right, sorry. Let's engage. <laughs> Arctic Monkeys, There'd Better Be a Mirror Ball. Father John Misty, The Next 20th Century. Gang of Youths, Brothers. Let's Eat Grandma, Two Ribbons. And the 1975's About You. Thank you. I'm glad that you did that in like the BBC final score voice. Yeah, I had to slow it down because I didn't have the exact list. So I had to scroll this. <laughs> Gang of Youths yeah. 2... Let's eat grandma three. <laughs> but is that how they'll end up numerically here? I don't know. Um, yeah, a very emotional top five. Should we just go alphabetically? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. Unless there's any clear number five. Well, I mean, again, it's like not to call our own system into question here, but like I, the numbers can wait. For, yeah. Forget the numbers. Okay. As I think. Let's talk about the music. Delorento's once In the meantime, possibly? do you want me to pull up what the actual figures were? No, no, not at all. No. Okay. I don't want to hear them. Ever. Well, I mean, like maybe after the fact, but like it's not. That's what I mean for after the fact. Uh, I, I don't think it's that important. No, and if I do, not. if I do recall correctly, I think we left the studio last year, and the most overwhelming song points wise wasn't even in our top five. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Due to. Did we ever reveal that now? Let's no. never. No. Uh, it's Kanye West <laughs> the song was Moon and we were like we can't have three Kanye West songs in the top five one of them's oh. gotta go turns out Moon that we ditched actually I'm was pretty like sure it was like top of everybody's list was, yeah yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and again you know just Cuddy as well yeah another example of why I can't fully give up on the guy and I should say as well and like you know I think with this top five and possibly the next top five to come you know I mean like let's just get into it I mean I okay. Arctic Monkeys well, yeah, what I was going to say was Moon, for example, like, you know, from last year. Moon is the first song I listened to when I got back into town the day that my father died. 
and therefore I'm sorry. It's got a celestial place with me forever. Yeah. And some of these songs have a very similar relationship, and we'll get to that. But yeah, let's go alphabetically. There better be a mirror ball. Why? Why better there be a mirror ball, Craig? Why does Alex Turner want that? It's it's hard to truly understand the meaning of what he's getting at, which I think is why it's such a good idea to, you know, like want to dive in because there's layers. There's a lot going on. The opening of it is orchestral. You're right back in that. Um, the worlds that they conjured up so well in the last record. It's not the return of the guitars. Um, the band have talked about how they thought post-tour... Um, of Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, we're going to, you know, we're going to write some showstoppers. We're going to write some crowd favourites, get the guitars back in. They tried some of that, wasn't happening. Alex Turner wrote this <laughs> lovely, lush orchestral piece and he's like, that's the start of the next album. They're like, yes. So you open with that, you know, you're back into a cinematic world. There's the jolts and then there's the you know, just the opening line, which is just an incredible way of like, don't get emotional, that, that ain't like you. And I think the it sets the tone for the whole record, which is a conversation um, between Alex Turner and his fan base, essentially. Um, it's very much dealing with the fallout of the reaction to the last record, their popularity in general, who people want them to be as a band, and him trying to follow his creative muse, Sounds quite pretentious, but actually, I think in the struggle and the humanity of that, um, it kind of speaks to a lot of different things. And that's kind of his strength as a writer. It's just, I mean, just talking about the actual music itself, we're back in Scott Walker land. His voice is at its absolute peak at this point. We've just heard the falsetto there. He just soars. Um, you know, he, he's at a really, really good place where I could just listen to him sing the phone book. But the lyrics are really good as well. And the mirror ball. Uh, okay, do you, how in the weeds do you want to... Because I listen to this record All a lot. All the fucking right? way in, Craig. <laughs> I think especially I think, yeah. having you here okay. is like... It's like having an Arctic Monkeys expert in right. the room. So okay. yeah, let's go. So I think... Okay, so if the song is about the breakup between Alex Turner and certain elements of his fan base who can't follow him into these kind of, you know, strange new waters or whatever, and there's this kind of breakup at a car kind of recalling a do me a favour you know some of the very early Arctic Monkey stuff it's a setting that they've been to before as they're saying their goodbyes and remembering the good times he is suggesting that the mirror ball I think represents the <laughs> commerciality and kind of pop sensibilities of their very early stuff AKA, I bet you look good on the dance floor. What does the dance floor have, Dave? <laughs> they don't <laughs> all. has a mirror ball. Uh, a DJ? Uh, they, they don't all have a mirror ball, Craig. Security basically, and leaks. <laughs> basically, it's a kind of thing of like, it's been great. I know you want me to do more of that kind of thing, but I can't do it anymore. Interesting. I just can't. How much of this comes from you? How much of this is on, say, you know, or slash Arctic Monkeys. I've I've never been on or slash Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> I can confirm. Okay. I've been on or slash is that Kanye. A moderate, not a moderator, Craig. No. Is there a Kanye to the equivalent for Arctic Monkeys or is this, this the drowned and sound message I'd be board? surprised. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Did you work out this theory by yourself is what I'm wondering? Yeah, kind of. Like, it seems quite obvious really though Do you okay. think, I think for, like I think on the last record he was there was a lot to do with finding his place as a kind of pop star 
Um, he doesn't strike me as someone who's that concerned self-referential. by the fans having a problem with this current direction. Well, I mean, if you go back to like the title of the debut record, you know, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. I mean, they've, and, you know, kicking off the I Bet You Look Good and Dance For like video, which is a live performance with like Don't Believe the Hype when they're the biggest, most hype thing on the universe. He's always been, it's rubbed him the wrong way being at the centre of attention, which is like, oh, Sorry for you, Alex. You're in a gigantic band where you have to play the hits to stadiums full of people. But I just think they're a fascinating group at the moment. Like, I genuinely think what they've done on this record and the previous one is Radiohead levels of, like, a left turn. Like, just following the muse and, you know, fandom be damned. Can we take a quick listen to the song that we're talking about? Yeah, let's, about? let's give it a go. So do you want to walk to the I'm sure to have a heavy heart. So can we please be absolutely sure that there's a I gotta say, like, it's just such a pleasure to watch Craig's face when you drop that there because I just saw this, like, just this knowing smile went across your face there. I was thinking about how mirror balls also, like, reflect, refract light. So you have, like, multiple different images kind of dazzling off it. And I'm like, oh, is that maybe the potential of his creativity? Or I don't know. This is like (laughs) this period of Arctic Monkeys for you. And you were obviously a fan. I think you've been a fan all the way through. But like, yeah. These last two albums have, as you say, like they're ascending them to a, a different plane of existence for you. But not for everybody. I just think he's an extremely good writer. Like, I think he's going to end up in that kind of Nick Cave bracket. I think he's extremely good lyricist. Huge statement. Yeah, it is a big statement. Um, I just, yeah, I, I never thought they should end up boxed in being, doing that kind of like social commentary of a night out in Sheffield kind of thing. They've I mean, done it. How could they still do it? Like, they're living a completely different life. They've this is much more music. genuine to them. It would be ridiculous if they were living in LA and still talking about like, Asbos and stuff and you know but he wasn't he's not from the 70s but it seems like that's where he wants his music to be yeah I mean like it's, nothing wrong with that yeah what 2008 was the last Shadow Puppets first record where it was just like get the strings in go full Gainsbourg so he's been on that trip for a, a long time um more kind of jazz influences now as well I do feel like this is the first record where the strings the more classical elements feel essential to all the songs. Even the last record, they were a gorgeous kind of adornment and they helped create this world. But here it's like deeply embedded in the songs. It is pure Scott Walker. It is pure kind of lounge pop. Uh, It's not kind of rock songs with some, you know, strings attached, um, which I think is is the biggest evolution here. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful single. It's great. And his voice is just putting aside all the ridiculous kind of genius um, footnotes, references and all that kind of stuff. It's just a lovely, lovely vocal. It's opulent. It's beautiful. The chords are great. I do love this song. Yeah. I think it's, I was really, because I remember reading in advance, it was like, we're not, we're, we're not in space anymore, you know? And I was like, oh, they're going to just go back to the well. Yeah. And then I heard this and I was like, oh, you cheeky bastard. <laughs> and I think it's Cheeky monkeys. I think it's phenomenal. Um, and it took me a while to get on full board with Tranquility Base, Hotel and Casino. But I do love the album the more I listen to it. And obviously with the car, you know, I'm still not quite where you're at with it. But yeah. 
this song is transportative. I think it is absolutely beautiful. It's so elegant, and I love that he's tripling down on this. They they're such a markedly different band than yeah. that, and that's fine. I mean, like I want more evolution from artists than just like here's another fucking Slayer album. You know, it's like this is a cool different thing, and it is gorgeous. I can see exactly what he's trying to achieve with this, the cinemascope of it all. But there it was, is very cinematic. That's like yeah, hugely. Yeah, it could be in a Bond film. It could be a score if you took the vocal out. It could just be. It could score something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Which, yeah. as Craig says, was the you know the the DNA was there with the Last Shadow Puppets as yeah. well. So like, it's not exactly completely alien territory for him. But uh, I think a lot of what Craig said there about Scott Walker and kind of strings and kind of putting it all together actually does apply to the next track. Which again, if we could take a listen to it. <laughs> John (laughs) Father John Misty it's the next 20th century and I knew that this would make its way in I knew it would yeah yeah I remember you raving about it at the time yeah but quietly so quietly raving about it yeah a little bit Um, I mean the album it's taken from Chloe and the next um, 20th century is very markedly different to this in terms of the Sonics it's a kind of throwback to like the golden age of Hollywood, maybe. There's like show tunes on it. Um, he's doing a thing as he is wont to do. <laughs> and, capital D, capital A, capital T. This is like the rug pull, really. This is like the kind of, you know, the curtain is pulled back and you see the current world for what it is. And it's a hellscape um, based on this kind of, you know, skeletal calypso drum machine thing that feels like it's off a Leonard Cohen record from the 1980s and the strings and those eruptions of guitar and he is just hovering above the world on fire going what is there left to save is there anything I don't know maybe love songs and then you realise okay the whole kind of sweetness and um, vignettes of the record that has preceded have been kind of pure escapism, maybe. Um, He's obviously burying kind of deeper meaning into all the nostalgia and retro songs, but this is just like, here's why I've been doing all of that stuff, because this is too unbearable. And it's unbearably beautiful. It's brilliant. I think it might be the best thing he's ever written. Wow. I I think this is him doing Pure Comedy, the title track from that record in terms of the thematic stuff he's going for, the kind of state of the world address. But it's not as didactic. It's not as on the nose. Um, It's just way more subtle. Lyrically, it's like Dylan at his apocalyptic best. Yeah, I think it's right up there. It's top five Father John Misty easily for me. I don't know if I can get on board with the idea of the rug pull and the idea of here's my album that I'm not that invested in and wait till you get to the ending. It's pretty good. Well, I think he is invested in those songs. And I think, the, you know, the kind of point he's making at the end of this is that it's kind of a point he makes on a lot of records, which is just like, okay, things are bad, but actually we've got each other and maybe love can save the day. Actually, I think he's quite a... You know, there's the like sardonic side of him. There's the irony, but actually he's like a big old softy where it's just like, you know, love will save us. And I think actually 
this is the first point he's kind of said love isn't going to save us right <laughs> but you know what is really good love songs and they might at least just like act like morphine so we can forget our troubles and we can just go on and but you know I think it's that thing of just like he loves everything he's done on the record he realises it's not current and it's not addressing all the stuff people expected him to address but he has to do it because it's the only thing that's keeping him sane it's, it's interesting because at the start of the year we were talking about like anticipated records and Pitchfork had theirs and they were just like Father John Misty or Josh Chilman who still hasn't been cancelled somehow what will he come up with next and we are like what is he going to come up with next like where does he fit into this current world that was also such a fucking like you know <laughs> like what point were you trying to make there yeah, yeah, can yeah. you believe this guy isn't a creep yet but maybe he will be well I, I don't know if it was the creepiness I think it was more the fact he's he his songs are maybe the definition of mansplaining to some people yeah but um, I don't agree with that like he's got to put his foot in it in a way that he can't take back maybe uh, I mean, well, it's because maybe you've already answered this question with very beautifully, I will say. But like, I was going to ask you, like, has he not already done this on pure comedy? Yeah. But if you're making the point that there is a slight twist of the the worldview and maybe more of an admission, perhaps. Same. So let, let, let me ask you a different question: Do you need the album for this song to work? Um. I don't listen to the album that much. <laughs> I listen to this song a fair bit. So no would be my answer. Okay, so this okay. might be the only song in the top five that I think makes, and it's probably not what he intended, but makes the album it's on seem worse. <laughs> well, this is the thing because like, I do think... Is that a good thing or a bad thing? But, but, they, but like, that's yeah. the debate because like, I didn't love that album. Yeah. I thought it was okay. And I thought this album was, this song rather, sorry, was the standout by and by. I think this is a fabulous, fabulous song. It's great. It's in that pure comedy mold. I fell in love hard with him on pure comedy. Yeah. And then I fell out of love with him again. And this album didn't quite bring me back to it. I wanted it to. I was ready for it to. But only this track. And that's why it frustrated me because I was like, oh, there it is at the end. And that's, I know that's kind of a genius statement, but yeah. it's also a bit annoying. And I know that's his whole thing. <laughs> that's his kind of whole thing, yeah. I do want to see him live again um, when I get the chance because I thought he was very captivating. This is a fantastically captivating song. Mm. Deserves to be in the top five, I think. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. I had a lot of painful memories A bunch of shit he never shared But when he died I went out looking for them For all the things he never said Thought he was born in 1948 But was born a whole decade before Thought he was brought up in New Zealand Alright, so that's Brothers by Gang of Youths Gang of Youths are an Australian rock band Who Craig actually turned me on to mm. last year Yeah, it was no Oxcord as well, wasn't it? You picked The Angel of 8th Avenue Yeah Which is a great, great song did it make our end of year list? I'm surprised. I don't think so. No, oh, that's kind of surprising. Top twenty, but probably lower slightly. Yeah. Yeah. They also like. I'm really annoyed about this because they kicked off their world tour this year in Dublin, and I didn't go. I was behind the curve on this record coming out. This the album that this is taken from came out in February, I believe, and I don't know if it was a subconscious thing. Maybe I read in passing what it was about, but I just it kind of slipped through my fingers until recently enough, and. <laughs> Um, yeah, you heard the lyrics there. So it's it's this album is completely built around the death of the frontman's father, whose name is Dave, uh, David Le Pepe. I'm probably pronouncing I think it's Le Pepe. Yeah. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. I hope not. But essentially, uh, he's talking about new information he learned about his father in the wake of his death, and how he actually has a couple of half brothers that he never knew. 
and basically says over the course of that motif that you heard there, that's how the song goes for about six minutes, pretty much in its entirety with a slight change in vocal melody, but it's him at a piano and the kind of repetitive, almost nursery rhyme type thing yeah. while dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of honesty and truth that he himself is still grappling with. And he says, um, the point is I adore my dad, but my dad unfortunately did the wrong thing by leaving his sons. He did the wrong thing by concealing our history and heritage from my sister and I. It seems that by allowing this story to see the light, it's bringing rest to his soul and comfort to my siblings and myself. And each new verse, that's him talking about the song there, each new verse is like a new piece of information, essentially. And, you know, he talks about his relationship with his own family and how he's not quite there. And there's some really incredible stuff in this, which I obviously resonated with. Um, You know, he's got a line when he says... um, my sister, she lives out in New York City, been there since I was 17, and I think she hates it, but like most New Yorkers, she just can't bring herself to leave. She used to love to watch her father cooking and imitate the things she'd seen, and now she makes the most amazing things, and she also sings better than me. And when he died, she and her husband stayed to keep my mother company, and even though it fucked them up a lot, they did a better job than me. There's so many of these little kind of stabs, these knife stabs of admission about how he's feeling about things, mm. about how his sister feels these new brothers that he doesn't know but has met with and, you know, talked to and learned from. And he's got like an incredible, to give you one more verse, like this is about one of his newly discovered brothers. Our brother Matthew is a baker and he stands a mighty seven feet. He was brought up in a Maori family and speaks to Rayo fluently. He didn't know about our father till I guess he was about 18 and he did some time for something awesome and he's the sweetest guy you'll ever meet. Which is an amazing couple of lines, by the way. Right. He came to meet me at a festival and told me everything he knew, that our father left him at the hospital, but if he forgives him, then I should too. Yeah. There are just, there are worlds in this song and I think the level of, I guess like just trying to put yourself in this thing and trying to take yourself out of it is incredible. Like I listened to the song for the first time properly all the way through only a few weeks ago and... Um, I stood in my kitchen and I fucking wailed <laughs> silently. I just cried because like I, you know, to my knowledge, my late father doesn't have <laughs> children I don't know about. I don't think he does. But well, he, Dave, uh, organized something very special for these yeah. end of your episodes. <laughs> 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 knock at the studio door. <laughs> but like in tuning into this song and also the parent album, which is all about this. I mean, I, like I say, maybe I must have, maybe I saw a, a note about it in passing and I was mm-hmm. like, not going there. But I'm really glad that I did because this level of naked songwriting and admission and dealing with grief and wearing it on your sleeve, I, I really admire. And I wish I was able to to write songs like this and maybe put some things out into the world about my own father. And it's been really, really tough. I mean, but I'm 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 just, I'm, I'm always grateful that stuff like this exists. Yeah. I think that this is one of the most. It really stopped me in my tracks. Like I listened to it on repeat. I sent it to friends, and I was like, "You need to hear this," you know. And even though the parallels aren't always, like I say, completely one-one, just the idea of it all and trying to come to terms with this kind of stuff and how your life changes. I mean, again, you know, we can maybe talk about the album further at some point, but this song in particular just broke me. (laughs) Like, it just fucking broke me. I think the power in it is because it's so kind of plain spoken. Like, it's conversational. It feels like a lot of these verses, they're very impactful, but like they could be like the delivery could be just like talking to a mate you haven't seen in a year over a cup of coffee kind of thing. But then with that like gorgeous lullaby melody, it's almost kind of Christmassy that just it's that insistent thing looping back over and over again. It just takes on a power. 
and it feels like he has to deliver it that way. It can't be in, because this is not, if people aren't familiar with the band, this is not their default mode, really. This is a bit of an outlier, uh, like a piano ballad, like they're more... They're quite Springsteen-y. Heartland Rock, yeah. kind of, or... A bit of Springsteen, a bit of the National in there as well. Like, like yeah. And yeah, yeah, like Heartland Rock for sure. Like the it Australian is. Killers, maybe, do you know maybe, what I mean, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Um, this is the ballad, yeah, the ballad on the album. This is the ballad. There are ballads on there, but this is the ballad. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it feels like the only way he can get this story out is with this very beautiful, like just kind of a self-soothing um, lullaby to himself. Almost. Oh, he's telling the band to go for a fucking coffee. Like he's like, yeah, season an hour, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, conversely, with the Father John Misty one, I think this is a song that kind of enhances everything around it because you realise the depths of, you know, the the emotional depths of the band. Um, the writing ability of him, how they can kind of mix things up slightly. And it does imbue the more straightforward kind of rock anthems elsewhere with a bit more heft, I feel. Like there's there's a kind of wordless verse on this where he's just kind of going, la, 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 like where he just kind of, he's like, that's enough for now. I'm just going to like hum to myself. He's going to do the melody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know me on this show, I'm like, I'm always just like, if you just like a wordless melody, it's a bit lazy. What You know, what are we, Imagine Dragons? Because there's a bit of that elsewhere on the record. Sure. And I'm just like, yeah. actually, you know what? You know what? They really mean it. And they do have a lot to say. So they're, they're allowed to do it because it does work in certain circumstances. Sam Fender does as well but let it slide they are Fender-esque as well of yeah, course they are. You know? <laughs> do you use that common term that we all love uh, Fender-esque but like no and even the melody like I think on a different day of the week this song could irritate the fuck out of me mm. but it doesn't because I think it's genuinely so fucking beautiful and it's a it's he's writing a letter like I mean like this is yeah, this could have been a letter this could have been I'll put this away yeah. and I'll keep it to myself and I won't tell anybody um, but it's, you know, and again, you can also look at the other way. You could be like, well, you know, is it oversharing? But I'm like, nah. I mean, you know, the album, I think, has been dinged by some people for, for having too much on it and being overwhelming. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I also think that, you know, and maybe it's because I can't help but project myself upon this. But I think it's very brave of him. And I know that that word is overused. But this is a tough fucking song. And I think it's a beautiful thing that it exists. And uh, we're going to keep that energy <laughs> for this next song in our top five. Oh my God. Sometimes I become as translucent as my love. I'm bound to do what's that I can. Back with Let's Eat Grandma. They've got some stuff to work through. It's two ribbons. It's the title track. Um, closer of the album. And the closer. Yeah. Coming full circle. Um, this is one written by Jenny Hollingworth. Um, and again, this is thematically very similar to Happy New Year, but obviously just worlds apart in terms of the vibe, which is very fitting, just that it kind of loops back into that kind of the payoff of like Happy New Year if you do have this on repeat. If not, you'll be just left in silence with your thoughts and your emotions <laughs> and you're bound to have a lot of them because this is a very accomplished, beautiful, incredible song. Um, and it makes you kind of go, I hope she's all right. Like, I, you know. Um, so, yeah, we didn't really give too much background, did we, about, like, the making of the record. Obviously, we talked about the two of them just becoming slightly estranged. Um, 
But Jenny in particular went through uh, the mill. Her her partner, Billy Clayton, I believe, was a musician as well, passed away um, at a very young age uh, from an illness. And yeah, she worked through that quite a lot on this record. So this is her dealing with that very definite disconnection and loss and also her best friend kind of um, being at an arm's length a bit more and finding acceptance in it and a way to somehow move forward. And it starts off very tentatively and it kind of swirls around and comes back in upon itself. And I think just her vocal does so much of the heavy lifting in terms of representing her, finding the power to kind of go on. Um, it's a very stirring song. There's, there's no real huge traditional kind of payoff. Um, but I think it's probably the better for it. And yeah, it's another toughie, Dave. It really is. Yeah, sorry. My throat's um, closing up because of my head cold, but it makes me sound more emotional. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and I think the first time I heard it, I was just transfixed by it. And I was very, very taken with it. Um, and again, like, you know, it's been it's been an extremely tough year. Um, I think, you know, for everybody in the world, but obviously speaking from my own personal point of view, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's rough. I, like I, I mentioned earlier on, like I went to therapy this morning and I, and I, I, I had an annoyingly not good session and it, it annoyed me because I was like, I like my therapist. Um, and I want it to be a bit more upbeat, but unfortunately it wasn't. And I think it's just been, you know, I'm trying to find ways to say, to say something new to say about, you know, grief and I can't, um, maybe the song does, but it, it was, it's been quite the companion and I've found it hard sometimes to go back to it, mm. which, you know, might be the greatest compliment of all. But I mean, when I first heard it, it did feel like, it felt like a warm embrace, you know, and I've, I've needed that a lot this year, um, and I, I'm, I, I think like, I, I think that this actor kind of are, are a bit of a marvel. And there's just so much on here where it's like, how the fuck can you be this young and go through what you're going through and just, you know, put it out there into the world for other people to try and latch onto and have something with? And of course, you know, if you go to uh, the best corner of the internet, the YouTube comments, you know, you will find a lot of people. Yes. Same with the Gang Youth song. Just personal story after personal story, and to take that on and to try and encapsulate it and get through it is quite incredible, really. And this one was just, you know, it's it, it can apply to an awful lot of things. I think that there's also a huge vein of, you know, lost nostalgia in here as well. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to like convince yourself that, oh, it's better 20 years ago or whatever the fuck. Maybe it was. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. It's an incredible statement. And uh, it is, yeah, you, you use the word, it's a toughie. It is a toughie, like, you know. It's not going to go on the playlist at the uh, <laughs> the Pitchfork Barbecue. Actually, no, that's where it would go. Probably on the, playlist, the Pitchfork course, yeah. Barbecue, yeah. The infamous Pitchfork Barbecue. For reference there, by the way, from years ago that we, like, uh, <laughs> they, they were, Pitchfork did a thing back in 2016 where it was like, here's our summer barbecue banger playlist. <laughs> and they had, like, Drone Bomb Me by Anna Nee on there. And we were like, really? <laughs> Drone Bomb Me. So, yeah. What an amazing track. Great song. Not but like, barbecue. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, okay. Not for sizzling steaks. Um, this song, oh Christ, man, it just, it's such a killer. And uh, like I was thinking about it, even its placement on the record, like it follows Strange Conversations, which I think on any other album would be your closing track, right? Yeah. But they're like, no, no, <laughs> we have this fucking 
red hot knife of a song to throw at you. It's but the it, REM trick, automatic for the people. You have night swimming, you're like, this is the most incredible closer of all time, and then you find the river. <laughs> so yeah, congrats. <laughs> That's the biggest compliment I can pay. That's pretty big, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're the REM of, where are they from, Norfolk? <laughs> Norwich, right? Norwich, yeah. 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 Uh, Devin Allen Partridge. No, nah, it's, 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 it's a heartbreaking song, but I think it does actually put a heart back together. Like, I, yeah. think, it, I think it does do that. I think it does... It's about love. It's a great contrast to Happy New Year because I think it's about the same things. Well, you know, and it is overtly about grief and it is overtly about loss, but it is also about connecting things together again and trying to find a reason to go on and to find, to honor people and to to, to put love out there into the world. I could talk about it further, but we have to listen to Matty Healy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's what he would want. Yes, of course. About You by the 1975 and it is in my opinion Craig their best song since Somewhere Else off their second album I would agree with that yeah I think so it's very much in that um, lineage they do they do that kind of thing quite well when the the mood takes um, wonderfully produced as always it just sounds it might be the most it probably is the most Irish song on this list because to me it just screams Enya and My Bloody Valentine. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very, we've got, we, it's, it's kind of essentially a duet, right? So Carly Holt. Holt. Yeah, yeah. Who is married to? Um, Adam Han, the guitarist from the band. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Beautiful vocal. Can I Lovely. jump in quickly? What was the record you said in the second, the second album? Uh, the song? Yeah. Somebody, somebody else. Somebody else. Did I call it somewhere else? Yeah. Or someone. Some. Something it's somebody else. else but yeah. I. I may have said somewhere else, and if I did, that's that's obviously because I have Johnny Burrell <laughs> and Razorlight on the brain at all times. I met a girl. She asked me my name. I told her what it what was. It was. <laughs> There's no one has ever written better lyrics since those lyrics, and they never will. Yeah, that's oh, it, Johnny. Yeah. Sorry. It. Somebody else is the 1975 yeah, song. Matty Healy, very much the modern day Johnny, right? I think so. Yeah. But, but um, did Razor Light ever come up with anything as good as this? Is the question. They. You heard America, did you? Wire to wire, is it, <laughs> did Craig? Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did I have to think so long? Um, no, this is great. Um, the record overall, I mean, I didn't fall completely in love with it. I think I know what they were going for. It was more direct. It's dropping the irony. It's like, let's do love songs. Let's do pop music. Let's fall back in love with, you know, why we started a band. And I just, I wasn't sure if the songs were quite there. Um, and I don't think it was playing to their strengths, but something like this, where he's just, he very, he totally leans into the lushness. It's a very sweet melody. I don't know if it's the best written song, like in terms of, I mean, lyrically, it could be any any love song, really, couldn't it? But that's probably true of many love songs, Craig. But not love songs in our top five, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> I think, you know, it shares a musicality with... Uh, Two Ribbons by Let's See Grandma because both of the songs to me you know if you can do that thing where you're like I can see this song I do see like you know a warmth yes. you know, like a, f- a roaring fire or something there's like you know I think there's love in this song there's genuine life I think it's you know 
one of the rare occasions on the album where Maddie goes, I won't be a sardonic asshole for four minutes. Mm. I'll just be, you know, yeah. Th- okay, yeah, there, there is a simplicity to it. But I think it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it is beautiful. And I think it stands out on an album that I like more than you. I think it's a good album. I mean, it is a good album, but I was just, well, I th- was expecting like this is going to be their like pop masterpiece. Yeah. I don't know why, I, again, I, I think even on the review, I was like, why did you expect this? I, I didn't think it was going to be anything more than it really was. I thought it was a better version of the previous album. See, I think there's there's the highs are way better on the previous album. I like the messiness of it. I think I like the messy and complicated and kind of annoying and giving me an hour and a half long and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, so shall I take it from that that this song, which is none of those things, will not be our number one? Well, it's a bit messy. I don't know if it's a number one. I do, I do really like it, and I, I think you know, I'm saying it's maybe not. It's not um, love it if we made it or something in terms of his, mm. his lyrical accomplishment on it, but. I don't think because it lives and dies by how gorgeous it sounds. I don't think we should deduct points because it sounds absolutely phenomenal. Um, All five songs that we have yeah. here are extremely melancholic. Do we want to comment on that? Been that kind of year, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're those kind of boys. Um, the sad boys. Yeah. Turns out Zara was the, <laughs> the gregarious glue the that held spark. us together. Yeah. yeah Jesus yeah, Christ. Sunshine. Um, <laughs> Well, at the same time, I, they don't depress me. No, no, they uplift me. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point, right? I don't know if there was that many really, you know, golden pop bangers either this As year. As it was, was like, mate. You know, <laughs> if you look at the, if you listen to the charts at the moment, there's not too many like. I avoid cool charts. To see me make me smile. Yeah, I avoid the charts. I'm I'm not really into it. Like, and even like it's. You know, that's not that is me being older. That is me being like, I don't really care about you know, featured artist X on mm. TikTok friendly song Y. It's not really my thing, pal. You know, yeah. Uh, these songs all I think strike a chord, make me feel something, you know. Yeah, I agree. Like Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Um, <laughs> um, okay, yeah, okay. So let's get down to the brass tacks. Yeah, the league table that everyone wants to hear. Who wins the saddest song award of 2022? <laughs> that kind of is how it's going to work out, right? <laughs> what song, what song uh, like, made you cry the most? Oh, the most? Uh, <laughs> Arctic Bungies. <laughs> Tears of pure joy that there's a new Arctic Bungies yeah. record. I will say, I love the 1975 song, but I do recognise... I think it, that's five. Yeah, I think it is, because yeah. I do recognise that it has surface level charm. But it's yeah. extremely good surface level charm. But I think, And I think for them, I will say as well, I do love the song... I do think it's their best version of the song since somebody else. But I will agree, there is, maybe it's just because of the whole Maddie Healy thing, there is a slight cynicism to it. There is a slight polished, slight, you know, this is a product. It's very, very, very well put together to an almost suspicious degree. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that's kind of the point with the 1975 isn't it see there you go everything is fucking ironic right but like at the same time it's you know even even the most sincere love song is a bit ironic I think it's I love this song I adore I think it's fucking great but also I nearly did a nearly did a Frank McCourt there I love this song I adore this I'm obsessed with this song and when people came to see the movie hundreds of (laughs) yeah I kind of agree like it's it's surface level to a degree but they're so accomplished that I mean it kind of it just 
it just tricks you, doesn't it? And it does its job. And Do you think it feels a bit like, let's write a ballad? Or do you think it was a natural progression? It feels a bit like Enya's great and people love her now and My Bloody Valentine are great and let's smash them together. Again, I've said it before, they just have an amazing record collection and they're very, very good. And that's like better than 99% of people. So, so but it is number five. Number five for <laughs> yeah. us on the No Encore Songs Theory is About You by the 1975. Yeah. Okay. Now we're into... A tricky situation. <laughs> okay, so here's how I think it plays out next. I think you would say that Father John Misty deserves to be a four. Motherfucker just read my mind. Yeah. But yeah. I think Craig's going to have an argument for why it shouldn't be number four. I think, I think it does a wider job than some of the other ones that are a bit more intimate. So that you can't go back to too often. I think it is him like looking at the big picture and delivering something that is still kind of like winningly opaque and um, mystical and I think will stand the test of time. So it's not like his personal story that you have to gear yourself up to listen to. It is your soundtrack to the oblivion that we're all going to experience. So, uh, <laughs> Father John Mystical, you say. I, I um, say. Well, I will say, I think, you know, in terms of like th- with Brothers by Gang Youths, right? There is unquestionably some recency bias on my behalf. Okay. Because it is a song that I recently got around to. Like I say, I whether on purpose or whether not on purpose, I kind of shelved that album for most of the year. And I am very much coming at it from the point of view of in my trawl of songs that I missed this year or like albums that I missed this year. Because this, I don't think it was a single. And if it was a single, that's not how I discovered it. I discovered it by getting halfway through a long album. But I will say, that was the song out of all of the new stuff, quote unquote new, that I was listening to over the last few weeks that really jumped out at me mm-hmm. and had a proper like stop me in my tracks reaction. At the same time, I also recognize that there's an awful lot of personal attachment to that. And I can understand where you're coming from with the idea of the Follow John Misty song having, you know, a more worldly approach to it, which is to say, I'm more than happy for Brothers by Gang of Youths to be number four. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Unless you have a counter on that, you know? No, I think I think um, Brothers is a tremendous piece of work. I think lyrically it is phenomenal. The melody is beautiful, but it is a guy at a piano just doing a quite simple melody. And Father John Misty's, I would say, the strings, those kind of guitar eruptions, it's a bit more ambitious. It's a bit more going on. I would probably have it just above brothers so yeah if you were happy with that we could lock those two in because we (laughs) we were clearly just like well there's an obvious one and two yeah Yeah. well I mean like yeah I think so I mean it wasn't I didn't look at the list when we got the list and I didn't say there's the obvious one and two but I think that in terms of what those songs have meant to us in recent months they have had more of an impact I would imagine yeah so yeah so 1975 about you is number five yeah brothers by gang youths is number four Father John Misty. The next 20th century at number three. Correct. Which leaves us with uh, <laughs> Let's See Grandma Two Ribbons and There Better Be a Mirrorball. I really, sorry to Boy, chime in here. I really like that it's these two on the top two. Yeah. Because, and it's not necessarily because like I think they're the best songs of the year because like I'm not going to lie, I would, I haven't listened to either album. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being honest with you <laughs> but it's just like it's feels representative because, of like, chats we've had uh, yeah that. and I feel like I have gotten to know the records just through 
you guys talking about them. And that feels like that to me every year. Like yeah. any time we do an album review, any time we sit down and do an album review, I will like purposely stay away from it unless it's like a Kendrick Lamar or something that I'm like emotionally invested in. Yeah. So to see that these and these two, I with the limited album reviews that we did this year, these two definitely were the top two in acts, you know, that we would have kind of spoken about. So it's nice yeah. to see that these songs are representative of that and, you know, what you both love and have experienced this year. Yeah. So, yeah, really happy to see them there. There is a final question. The ordering. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like, a, like on a personal level, Two Ribbons is the one for me in terms of, you know, I've had more of a relationship with that song. Yeah. But I do love Mirrorball. I think it is fabulous. I think it's great. I think it's really, really excellent. I didn't have the emotional connection with it, though, that I had with Two Ribbons, which I think is unavoidable. Yeah. Because Two Ribbons was just such a fucking proper, you know, I'm going to just, you know, get there now. <laughs> like, it's going to be such an impactful thing. Whereas Mirrorball to me is a little bit like I'm standing outside of a, a pane of glass looking at it being like, this is incredible. Mm. So was, was it the flip for you then, Craig? I mean, he tells you not to get emotional. So, you know, you have to have, be a bit stiff upper, upper lip, you know. What's a better, <laughs> just real quick, what's a better opening line? Um, don't get emotional. That ain't, that ain't like you yeah, from Mirabal. Or uh, I just want it to be one of the strokes from Star Treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think don't, like, I, I think don't get emotional. That, that ain't like you is very good. I will give it to that, right? Now, obviously... The Strokes line is like for fans of all of that kind of stuff and us, it's the it's like the better joke. But I do think where the first line of Mirrorball comes in is really great. So you have this very kind of like audacious, um, indulgent, opulent. Grand. Um, yeah, grand yeah. opening for ages. <laughs> and then it stops and you've got the fucking keys being hit. And then he goes, don't get emotional. Like he just completely fucking, uh, yeah, wrong foot you on that. So yeah, that's a good question. You'd go to the strokes line, right? I used to, but I'm coming around to the other one. Yeah. Like I do think, I think it's a very good opening statement. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, in the chorus statement of Two Ribbons, like, I mean, again, you could argue that like, hey, it's simple. But it's the delivery and what it's saying, like the lines of, because I haven't thought for months of anyone but you, and I want to find the answer, but I can only be your best friend and hope that that's enough. <laughs> but I know that's not enough. And uh, you can hear, I'm already like, it's, it's, my eyes are watering up here. Like it's, I think the song and the album, but the song Two Ribbons is such a gift to the world. Uh, it's, it really is like, you know, and it is like, it's, I'm in that YouTube common cliche now. But it is like, if I ever had the chance to thank them for writing it, I would. Yeah. Because it means a lot to me. And it's not just about, you know, like, again, you project yourself onto these situations. But I, I think I said it in the review as well. Like, I mean, of course, I can go to thinking about grief and the loss of my father. But I can also go to my ex-girlfriend, you know, and be like, hey, I wish things worked out there. But they didn't. And that's a long time ago. And. You're always going to have those pieces, I think. I think you're always going to... And, like, not just like old friendships. I mean, old times. Like, you know, like, I mean, nostalgic fucking summers. All this kind of... It's all in here. Like, it's all about that. It's all about... You know, it reminds me... Um, musically, they're completely fucking different. But it reminds me of, like, Futura Free by Frank Ocean oh, right, on yeah, Blonde. Yeah. And the whole idea of 
And I guess the album's couching it as well. It's like, you can't go back. You can't go back. And there's a tragedy to that. There's a tragedy in life where it's like, you're only going in one place and time is slipping away from you. And when you were younger, you didn't appreciate it. We got all these cliches, but they're all there. It's all in this song. And you can put a very personal stamp on that. You can put a very unique memory into this, or it can just be there for you and it can make you cry or it can make you happy. These elements are, are there. And it's, you know, it's, it isn't one I've, I've just thrown on, you know, yeah. I've kind of been like, I got to build up to listening to this cause I know it's going to take me somewhere. And that's across the album as well. And with Arctic Monkeys and Mirrorball, which I think is, it's a, I think it's a fucking brilliant song. I didn't cry listening to it though. Yeah. But Two Ribbons has torn me apart at times and I've just been kind of like, it felt ethereal and it felt like, you know, it just stopped the world sometimes. I do think um, the nature of Two Ribbons as a song and and that vocal as well and just how open it is and how raw it is is maybe the bigger accomplishment than the very accomplished obfuscation that Arctic Monkeys do. I was thinking that. Sorry again yeah. to jump in here no. in the middle of anything, but like it, fe- it feels, I don't know, like there, to me it feels like there's more genuine lived experience in the Let's Eat Grandma record. Not that they're like, there's not in the Arctic Monkeys one, but it feels really superficial in comparison. Can I ask something? Yes. Uh, you're going to balk at this. Is Alex Turner just a better Mounty Healy? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's very interesting I think they're nothing alike though are they like in what sense they're raised just eyebrow, blokes that are right, right, raised eyebrow wry commentary kind of stuff and I think Alex Turner is probably doing it a lot better at the moment right I think Alex, Alex T- Turner is a lot more sincere okay and much better a songwriter yeah yeah I think if you look at I think he's quite an open book like I if you look it, back though. at the discography yeah yeah for sure yeah um we we might have had that discussion, did we? After like when we were comparing, because they were reviewed back to back, weren't they? In different weeks, I and, think it was one week after. And Maddie, other, yeah. Maddie Healy had obviously had that that comment where he's just like, "We're this generation's, we're we're the Arctic Monkeys now." I'm just like, well, they're still going. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like four years older than you. Um, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. But I guess I what I'm saying is like, there's a slight remove, and while sincerity is undoubtedly there. Maybe it's not even a fair comparison where it's like, here's one song that's doing this incredible deconstruction of the self. And here's one song that is so obviously viscerally about grief and about stitching things back together. You know, and the whole concept of what we're doing here is obviously quite flawed. But like, yeah, for me, it is two ribbons because it had the most impact on me emotionally. That might not be the best way to gauge it, though. Yeah, I think um, looking at Mirrorball as a whole, which is like a continuation of a kind of bold fast or whatever, and a band trying something different with an enormous fan base and kind of part two of that. That is a very interesting story. The Two Ribbons story, which is like a crowning glory after a very, very difficult time and a record, the culmination of a record that probably isn't getting the plaudits that it deserves and that we were both very affected by when it first arrived. It feels like a no encore pick. So I'd be happy to go Two Ribbons as number one. Yep, I yeah. think that's I, I think that's how it should be. Okay. And yeah. so that means our 
let's just do our top 10, I guess, Whoa, before we well, sign off. Fuck. So hang on. Talk for 10 songs? Grab yeah. the list. Uh, also, like, yeah. How long is this episode? Even with 10 songs, this I'll is somehow going to be like an hour and a half long, if, if not more. Uh, we're like water. We're we coming up on two hours. We always be. find that our level. Be. We always find our level. 10 songs. What the fuck? Okay, right. So uh, here's the non-core top 10 of the year. Yeah. At number 10, Midnight Sun by Nula Yanya. Brilliant. Number 9, Anti-Diaries by Kendrick Lamar. Number 8 is Rock and Roll by Pusha T. Number 7 is Happy New Year by Let's Eat Grandma. Number 6 is Dream 2 by Della Zier. Number 5 is About You by The 1975. Mm-hmm. Number 4 is Brothers by Gang of Youths. Or is it Gang of Youths? I don't know. Youths. Number three is The Next 20th Century by Father John Misty. Number two is There'd Better Be a Mirror Ball by Arctic Monkeys. And number one song of the year, 2022, no encore, Two Ribbons by Let's Eat Grandma. So there we go. Yeah, that feels right. That's the list. I like that list. That's the list. And uh, yeah. We're going to rush off now so we can record the album's episodes because <laughs> this was a long one. And, Back in a week, uh, yeah. yeah, so I ho- hope you like those songs, guys. Um, I know I've liked listening to them. And to play us out, we'll have a listen to our number one song, Two Ribbons by Let's Eat Grandma. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. Adam Shanahan was here as well. And we'll be back with our album's episode in just a week's time. Some 